Hello, and welcome to Booklist Shelf Care, the podcast, where we talk all things collection development, reader's advisory, and reference right in your little ears. I'm your host, Susan McGuire, here to guide you on this journey of all things bookish and library land. It's episode 20. I can't believe it. And I'm so happy that you've all been on this ride with me as we explored the issues that concern library workers helping patrons with their leisure reading, whether it's by selecting books for a collection or putting good books directly into patrons' hands. Speaking of good books, have I got a few for you? Well, I don't have them, but the ever-reliable code section of RUSA does. FYI, that stands for the Collection Development and Evaluation Section of the Reference and User Services Association. We love acronyms. Every year, CODES honors the best in genre fiction with the reading list, and I spoke to Hallie Eisenman, the reading list committee chair, about what's on the list this year and how you can use it to boost your reader's advisory skills. Also speaking of good books, Donna Seaman and I chatted about a plethora of forthcoming titles that she can't wait to share, from biography to poetry to fiction. As always, all of the titles we discuss will be in the show notes on booklistonline.com shelf hyphen care. Let's get to it after we hear from a friend. Say, do you like reading? Do you like hearing what authors have to say about their writing? Then you've just got to hear the Shelf Care interview. It's a quick conversation between a book lister and a book person about their work, their inspiration, and whatever else we can fit in under 15 minutes. Hear Maggie Reagan talk to Ibram X. Kendi and Jason Reynolds about Stamped, Racism, Anti-Racism, and You. Hear Ronnie Curry chat with Susan Mwadi Daraj and Simon Nurali about their series for young readers, Farah Rocks and Sadiq, or to Saba Tahir, Nicole Andelfinger, and Sonia Lau and their graphic novel, A Thief Among the Trees. Hear Julia Smith talk to Tracy Hecht about the Nocturnal series and more. Can you believe there's more? You can find the Shelf Care interview right on this here podcast feed or wherever you listen to Booklist Shelf Care the podcast. Happy listening! Hallie Eisenman is the content manager for Novelist, which is kind of a big deal. She's also the chair of Rusico's reading list committee this year. She and I took a deep dive into this year's list, touched on the hundreds of books that were contenders, and talked about how you can use the list to punch up those readers' advisory skills. Here we go. Hi, everyone. I'm here with Hallie Eisenman, content manager at Novelist, and we are here to talk about Rusa's reading list, which was just announced in January. And Hallie, I'll let you tell me a little bit about the reading list. Sure. It is a sort of counterpart to the Notable list, which is also an ALA list, and it focuses on genres. So it It gives out a winner and shortlist in eight different categories. They are adrenaline, fantasy, historical fiction, horror, relationship fiction, romance, mystery, and science fiction. So we had a group of 14 people this past year on the committee. Uh, Usually that's a little larger than usual. I think it hovers around 11 or 12 usually. And um, we select books that that we feel are the best in the genre, that are a pleasure to read, that exemplify what a fan of the genre would like. Mm-hmm. And as I said, there's a winner and a shortlist in each category. Awesome. Yeah. And it's a super useful list. I, I always think <laughs> of you. it as like, and I guess this is true of Notables as well, as kind of sure bets. So like people yes. who are new to the genre or old to the genre yeah. would be yeah. interested in seeing it. Yeah, well, that's one of the things we talk about, actually. So I was on reading list for four years and was chair the most recent year. And that's one of the things we consider when we are 
talking about these books and nominating these books and deciding what's going to win is we, we like to have a mix. We like to have those books that are sort of, you could hand to somebody new to the genre and it would introduce them to the genre, but also for the diehard fans who know it really well, who have read a lot in the genre, who are going to be really happy with the book that you're handing to them. So we try to get all of those represented on the list. So I actually, you know, we have the winners. So there are eight titles that are considered winners, but I like looking at it truly as the whole list with the short list as well, because we do try to have a lot of variety in the short list in each genre. So when you look at it as a full reading list or mm-hmm. for readers advisory, you're you're hitting a lot of different types of readers or different fans of the genre if you look at the whole the whole list together and not just the winners. But yeah, we we do look at it as a way of introducing people to the genre as well as the best of the genre that a fan would like. Yeah. So do you have a favorite genre or one you've feel the best about talking about? Yeah, I so I really like relationship fiction. So that's sort of a newer one. It used to be called women's fiction. And they switched that a couple of years ago to be relationship fiction. I really like that. I love historical fiction. I love romance. I did not love horror when I came into the reading list. I didn't read very much of it. I am a big scaredy cat. I don't like being scared. I don't find that entertaining or fun. Uh, But being on the reading list really exposed me to horror that I do like. And so that was a big surprise for me throughout the years is I found myself really enjoying reading horror, which is not something I ever thought I would say. Uh, It's that was a big surprise to me. But but relationship fiction is probably the one that feels most at home with what I like to read just in my normal, so to speak, reading life. So can we can we dig in a little bit to sure, let's look at let me call it up here on my computer. Relationship fiction. The winner this year was the Gunkle by Stephen Rowley. It was. It sounds super cute. And it, it's interesting because I, you know, because it used to be women's fiction and I still think of it as women's mm-hmm. fiction. But mm-hmm. this one is not women, but I yep. think it really exemplifies why the change was necessary. Exactly. You know, I think part partly the reason came from books like A Man Called Uva by Frederick Bachman that was so popular a few years ago. It was there's that that sensibility to the books that it's not doesn't have to be just about women or by women, it's really about the relationships that people have in their lives that are not necessarily romantic, although there can be romance in the books, but about familial relationships and friend relationships and things like that. So I'm really pleased that they expanded that to relationship fiction because the Gunkle wouldn't have fit in a few years ago. Uh, And that's a perfect example about a man who takes in his, his niece and nephew the summer after their mother passes away and they're all grieving in their own way and how, how they spend the summer together and, and relate to each other. And it's delightful. If you haven't read it, it's, it's excellent. It's bittersweet and funny and charming. And the kids are adorable, but not in an annoying way at all. They're just so fun to read about. Um, I really, that was, yeah, that was a standout for me this year. I loved that book a lot. And then, so how did that fit in with the short list? So, yeah, so that's a winner. The Gunkle. I think was kind of, in my mind, the whole package of a lot of those emotions. And like I said, you get a little bit of the sadness because you have the grief. And so Mm -hmm. you delve into that, but you have the humor and you have these great side characters and it's just, it's a very well-rounded book and they all are, but, um, and then the shortlist, 
we had Dial A for Aunties, which is kind of almost a caper novel. It's mm-hmm. uh, we, we kept referring to it as Weekend at Bernie's because it's about this family that keeps moving around a dead body oh. at a wedding. And so that was something a little different, I thought, for relationship fiction. I liked I liked what that brought to the shortlist because it added, again, a little wackiness that we don't always see in relationship fiction. Yeah. I think relationship fiction can tend to be, they're not necessarily heavy reads, but they can deal with a some more difficult topics uh, and be serious. But yeah, this one, yeah. So this one's just a little bit more fun. And then there's actually a book called The Reading List <laughs> that's on the short list, which we thought was pretty funny that we had to put a book called The Reading List on the reading list. Uh, but we had to. Uh, but truly, it really was a wonderful book about libraries and the connections that people can make with books and that, how that can help them connect with other people. Uh, so that was another wonderful one. Sorrow and Bliss was another one of my favorites of the year about a woman with a mental health issue that's really impacted her her whole life and the way she interacts with other people, uh, especially her family members and her husband, and what happens when she gets a diagnosis that she wasn't expecting to get and and how that impacts her. That one's a little bit heavier, I would say, of among the lists. That one's a little bit heavier, but felt very true to life, I think, and does have a little bit of humor. If you're familiar with the TV show Fleabag that mm-hmm. was out a few years ago, I that was my kind of comp title for that one. I thought it was great for fans of, of Fleabag because it adds humor to, to a, again, a kind of serious situation yeah. of somebody's mental health. And then The Summer Seekers by Sarah Morgan was the other one that I uh, was it was a big surprise to me actually it's it's about a road trip and I love road trips and a woman who is in her 70s or 80s and her driver who's in her 20s and they take this road trip across the US and it was that one was very much I think if you're a fan of relationship fiction one that will just slot right into those elements that you'd really like mm-hmm. about relationship fiction lots of uh, a little bit of adventure and a lot of uh, very heartwarming at the end. So, so yeah, that was a, that sort of kind of represents what I'm saying about the whole list. Like when you look at the short list and the winner all together, you get kind of something for everybody and any, any fan would maybe gravitate towards one over another, I think within the genre. Right. I like that. It's like a state of the genre. Right. Yeah. In one list. So were there any surprises? Like, were you, I don't know. I mean, you talked about not being a big horror reader, like yeah. the horrors like crack you up or something or, or any. Yeah. So even more than horror, I'm not a science fiction reader. That is one that I can appreciate it for what it is, <laughs> but it's not something I'm ever going to pick up probably on my own uh, to read for pleasure. But there, the one that won was A Psalm for the Wild Built by Becky Chambers. And that is just such a lovely story. It's kind of a quiet, cozy science fiction almost. It's post-apocalyptic sort of about this wandering tea monk that goes around and visits these villages. And then he encounters a robot, the first robot that anyone has seen after human society went by the wayside and, uh, or excuse me, not human society after robot society left. And, um, And it's sort of about the connection that they have. So after hearing that relationship fiction is my favorite, you probably aren't surprised that that kind of science fiction is the thing that I like. But that was, it was, it was a, just a lovely, lovely book. And then there's a book called One Day This Will All Be Yours by Adrian Tchaikovsky that I really enjoyed too, which I had read other Adrian Tchaikovsky books and they're all these big, thick, yeah, 800 page, you know, sci-fi saga sort of things. 
And so I was thinking, oh, they were just not for me. They were not for me at all. And so when I saw that I was going to have to read this one, I thought, okay, you know, you can do this. And I went to pick it up and it's only like 120 pages or something. (laughs) It's really, really short. And it's really funny. It's about this guy that lives at the end of time, basically, and, and how he tries to keep himself in that position when other when people keep trying to come and and surpass him and yeah it was that was a huge surprise to me i did not expect to to find a science fiction that about the end of the world or the end of time that i really yeah. liked and and that was that was a big surprise to me so yeah it's fun i mean if if anyone's listening who's ever considered being on a committee that's one of the great joys i think of being on a committee is reading stuff you never would have found on your own or ever would have picked up, even if you had found it uh, and discovering that you really, really like it. So that's, that's one thing I will miss about not being on the reading list. I've told all the people that have been on in previous years that are still on while I have rotated off and said, you better tell me, (laughs) you better tell me when there are these surprise books that I should read. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so let's talk about for, for people who are curious about being on the committee, you know, you talked about not being a big science fiction reader. Mm -hmm. When the committee is being made up, do you mm-hmm. kind of make sure to have someone for each genre or just because you're all readers advisory people? Yeah. So the vice chair, I believe, of Rusa Coates is the one who appoints to the reading list, mm-hmm. appoints new members. And that is part of the application is you put what your experience is as a reader's advisor, or I think collection development is something else that they kind of take into account a basically broad knowledge of of reading and books and then yeah. yes you put you put which areas you're most interested in and then I don't know if it's intentional or not but we it, in my time there was always a nice mix of people who were more comfortable in certain genres and less than others and then that was balanced by the people who were kind of the opposite so that always seemed to work out so I would imagine that that's being taken into account but as chair I didn't have much influence on who was added to the group that's done by, uh, like I said, that leadership position at Rusa Codes. It, it definitely comes into play during the process of reading and selecting these books and discussing them as people speak from a place of knowledge and experience and the fans of the genre will speak to what they see as strengths in books and weaknesses in mm-hmm. books specific to the genre, um, which is which is nice. We always relied on, I know I always relied on the people who really knew science fiction, for example, yeah. to help me because I always felt like my, you don't, you don't look at these books just from your own personal viewpoint, right? You're, you're not, right. you're not selecting these books for you. You're selecting them as a list for librarians to use in their libraries or for readers to use. And so you're trying to think of who is this for when you're reading it mm-hmm. and when you're considering it. But even still, when I would read some science fiction, I'd think, okay, I don't know that I know who this is for. Like I, I, I would, it would, I would appreciate the help that other committee members would give on that. And then I would try to do the same thing for the areas that I felt more comfortable in and point out what I thought were strengths or weaknesses. Mm-hmm. different books. So it always seemed to work out pretty well that there was, we never had a year where nobody liked or, or knew uh, genre very well. There was always a nice mix. So all these winners and all these runners up, do you know how many books you had to read this year? A million? We read a lot. Yes. Yeah. So I think officially we considered more than 800 books across the committee. And then I I personally read 
about 225 books start to finish, but that doesn't include the books that I started and thought, no, I'm not going to nominate this so I can set it aside. As part of the process is everybody is required to nominate in in one book in every category, at least one book in every category. And it's different depending on what committee you're on, but reading list, that's the way it goes. And then you can nominate up to two in each category. So as you're trying to find those nominations, you want to make sure you're you're finding the best books. And so it's not worth your time to read an entire book that you know probably isn't going to end up at the top of your list. And so that was a very hard thing for me to adjust to when I first came onto the committee. I was very used to if I enjoyed a book, I would read it. I would read the whole thing, even if it wasn't, right. even if it wasn't the greatest book I'd ever read, right? Uh, and so that's something that you do have to kind of change your thinking about a little bit because you just don't have enough time. I mean, there's not enough time. There aren't, we all work full-time jobs. There's not enough hours in the day to read every single book from start to finish. Yeah. That we have to consider. So, um, so, but we do read all of the nominated titles completely, but it's, it's finding the nominations that sometimes you would only read part of and set aside and decide, maybe I'll come back to that later when I don't have 300 other books to read. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So do you have a, a favorite resource for identifying titles that you were going to nominate? Well, novelist, of course. Yes, of course. Novelist. Of course. No, plug it. Let's do it. (laughs) Uh, Well, so novelist was helpful because you can filter in lots of different ways. So you can put together, obviously, a work at novelist. So pretty familiar with the different appeals and things that we have. So I would put together different searches and see what books are out that have starred reviews in different journals and then read through the reviews and and find which ones that I thought I would like to to read and and suggest for consideration. And then I also listened to lots of book podcasts, and that was a great way to hear about books that were coming out and people were reading and talking about Instagram. I follow lots of book Instagram accounts. So that's a good way to stay up to date on new books, like brand new books that people are talking about. But as far as pre-publication, you know, Edelweiss, I would keep an eye on what was there. And like I said, novelist for the reviews and different appeals to try to get it at what was coming out or or out currently that we might want to get. What about TikTok? Are you I am not. I am not a TikTok person. I haven't ventured in there yet. No, I am not. I, I about a year ago now, I was talking to a colleague, and they were talking about book talk. That yes. there's lots of book chatter going on on TikTok, and I thought, okay, well, now that might get me right. I, I might, I might yeah. start start looking at TikTok. And I created an account and spent about thirty seconds on there, and then <laughs> closed it, and that was it. I have never gone back. It was such. An inundation of just constant <laughs> everything, noise and visuals, and constantly changing. And I, it wasn't for me. So no, I have not. I have not grasped TikTok yet, as yeah. far as any any for any reason, but uh, for book talk especially. But I feel like a lot of the good book talk stuff makes it over to Instagram. People repost right. it from seems like TikTok. So as long as I'm on Instagram, I'm, I'm kind of fine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And Instagram is more static and mm-hmm. manageable. Yeah. I feel like, I, but I've, I, I haven't given TikTok much of a chance. So possibly I, I should give it more credit, but I don't um, know. It wasn't, it was a lot when I, it was a lot of stimulation. It's like, it's like reading, it. you know, like yeah. if you don't like a book, you don't have to finish it. Right. So if you don't like a social media platform, you right. don't have to join it. 
Yeah. Yeah. So, so far I feel okay about the books that come into my world through yeah. methods that, and, you know, for work, I'm constantly uh, through creating content or, or keep, you know, I manage a team that creates content for novelists. Mm-hmm. I'm always seeing the books that my team members are putting into articles and lists and newsletters. And so there's just a kind of a constant influx of, of books to, to see. And that's a great way right, to so learn, there's, learn mm-hmm. about books too. Yeah. Things come up sort of by osmosis. Yes, exactly. And then when you hear about, you know, when you hear about a book, two or three times, right back to back, you think, ah, this is a book I should, I need to be reading. It keeps coming into my world. Right. Yeah. So the list it's done. It's perfect. It's beautiful. (laughs) Well, how do you hope folks use the list? That's a great question. So I think that I hope it's used to help librarians or people working in libraries help their readers or make them feel more confident in working with their readers. So I worked in libraries for almost 12 years before I came to Novelist. And there were, there were always those people that would walk into the library who did not want to have a conversation that I wanted to have about, well, what do you like? What are you looking for in a book? What did you read recently that you like? They didn't want to have that conversation. They no. just wanted they just a want book a recommendation. Book. Right. I just want a good book. So I hope the list can help people with that sort of interaction where they, these are kind of surefire hits for different kinds of readers, certainly, because I don't know that you're going to hand a science fiction book to somebody like me who doesn't like science fiction and right. they're surely going to like it, but you can get enough information to know, Hey, they want a mystery arsenic and adobo. I'm, I can hand them and feel confident that it's not going to be a bad book. I mean, my, you know, maybe it's not going to be their favorite book, but it, it's not. It's going to be a good example of a mystery, and it's going to bring something to their reading life. Uh, so that would be one thing. The other thing I would say, I think it would be useful. Or I would love to see for people who are exploring readers' advisory and want to kind of see a snapshot of what the genre looks like. If um, again, for something maybe they don't read as much in, but they would be curious to see why why their patrons are reading it or whatever their patrons are reading, you know, want to get a glimpse of that. I think this is a great list to start with and read, you know, five books in a genre and you kind of know where that genre is this year and, yeah. and what it represents. So I think those two things are the main thing for, for kind of personal knowledge or it, it wouldn't even have to be a librarian doing the, the personal reading. It could be anybody who's curious about what, what fantasy looks like right now. And they could go read these five books and have a pretty solid understanding of what what the landscape looks like so that's those are sort of my hope I mean my work at Novelist is all about helping libraries do what they do and helping libraries Mm -hmm. help their communities and so generally I hope that the list even though it's not affiliated with Novelist but I am (laughs) I hope that I hope that it helps I hope it helps people working in libraries just a little bit feel like oh, hey, I have this that I can use as a resource and I can make a display from it. I can make a bookmark from it. I could, again, have these in my back pocket to hand to a reader who uh, says, I just want a good book. I don't want to answer all your questions. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So that that to me is the the benefit of a list like this. And I I hope it does that. I love it. Well, those are my questions for you. Okay. Is there any, um, that just kidding, I have one more question. (laughs) So what, Aside from your um, committee work, what are you reading yes. and loving right now? 
So I just finished listening to last night, the last night at the Telegraph Club by Melinda Lowe, mm-hmm. which just won the, was it the Prince? Not the Prince, the Firekeeper's Daughter won the Prince Board. Well, it won something. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm, anyway, uh, which was super fun. It's a team book. So the book wasn't actually, it was, it's historical fiction and it was really, really good. But it was fun for me to be able to read a non-adult book yeah. <laughs> because that's yeah. all I've been reading for a while, right? And then I actually read a book called Nora Goes Off Script by Annabelle Monahan, which doesn't come out, I don't think, until June. I was literally maybe. just looking at that today. Oh, it's so cute. It's so cute. It's just delightful and sort of like a Hallmark movie in a way. And it kind of plays with the tropes of a Hallmark movie because the, the main character writes Hallmark, they're Hallmark type movies. So it plays with that, but it's really witty. And I don't know, I thought it was wonderful. And that comes out in, in the spring or early summer. And then uh, Black Cake by Charmaine Wilkerson, mm-hmm. I just finished as well. And that's another one that I was excited to read because it, it probably falls on the more literary side of things. So it wouldn't have fit into the reading list, um, but about estranged siblings whose mother passes away and she leaves a recording for them about her past and her history that they discover that they didn't really know their mother very well and, and what that does to them and their relationship and how they look at their mother. And so it kind of goes back and forth between the mother as she was a young girl or younger girl and, you know, coming up in age and then the present day as her, as her children are, are dealing with that. So that was, that was wonderful. And then currently reading Four Winds by Kristen Hanna, which came out last year. That's just full. And yeah, so just started that actually. Cool. Well, I hope, yeah. I hope it's a great one. I do too. <laughs> I like Kristen Hanna generally. So yeah, I think, I think it'll be pretty Can't cool. lose. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for chatting. Thank you for having me. And thanks for creating a great or or for chairing the committee that created a great reading list. Thank you. Thank you. I hope everybody finds something on there that they that they enjoy and it serves its purpose. I think they definitely will. Okay, good. Thank you. Thanks. Want to share that great Booklist Reader's advisory content with your patrons? Now it's easy with Booklist Reader, a selection of backlist booklists and best ofs designed with your patrons' reading needs in mind. Want to know the best book group books? Booklist Reader has a list. Looking for great middle grade graphic novels? There's a list for that. What about the best mysteries and thrillers on audio? You better believe Booklist Reader has a list for that, too. Best of all, the titles featured are already on your shelves, so no need for frustrating holds cues. Booklist Reader is included with your subscription to Booklist, so you can share this digital magazine on your library's website or newsletters. Find Booklist Reader on booklistonline.com reader hyphen issues and start sharing the great reader's advisory content with your patrons today. All right, I'm here with Donna Seaman, adult books editor and all-around cool gal. And Donna, let's talk about stuff that you're reading and loving right now. Oh, thank you, Susan. This is cool. I love doing this. So I'm going to begin with a biography because you know that I am a biography person. I just love them. And this one, right from the title, Who Can Resist Diamonds and Deadlines? Ooh, <laughs> that one of those obtains to my life. The other does not. Guess which? Um, so <laughs> Diamonds and Deadlines, a tale of greed, deceit, and a female tycoon in the Gilded Age. 
Oh. Um, yeah, this is by Betsy Prio, coming out in April from Abrams. It's about this woman, Miriam Leslie, who she, she's this self-invented genius person. She was um, one of these larger-than-life figures who mythol- you know, made up lots of myths about her origins. But it seems that she was not of noble Huguenot descent, as she liked to claim. But uh-huh. in fact, grew up very poor and you know neglected it seems that probably her father was a slave owner this is going back to the pre-civil war and an enslaved woman was her mother but she really had nothing to do with either she kind of raised herself very smart not afraid to use her what they call feminine wiles if you know what i mean oh yeah um, <laughs> so she and and what a survivor i mean she was just went through so many different experiences and then ends up, you know, she had several marriages, each disastrous. And so I recognize the name Frank Leslie. He had this New York magazine and newspaper empire. And he published a lot of famous American writers, including one of my favorites, Louisa May Alcott. Sure. I remember reading that Alcott had a woman editor, uh, Miriam Squire. Well, that's this Miriam. And uh, Miriam was just a, a genius about editorially and in terms of business and technology. And so all of that's part of the story. She marries Frank Leslie. They become this crazy Gilded Age power couple. Author describes their, you know, wild wardrobe and jewels and parties and you know, palaces. I mean, it's all so excessive. I can hardly believe it. It's very entertaining. But he was, you know, a terrible businessman, bankrupt. He dies. Uh, Miriam stuck with all this debt and, you know, uh, lots of scandal. And she once again triumphs and, you know, fights everyone off, lives to a good old age and dies and leaves all her money, not to her conniving in-laws and hangers-on, but to the women's suffrage movement. So, <gasps> I <yes>. love it. <laughs> She's so great. She reminded me, and this is a, a really great read-alike for Diamonds and Deadlines, which is Vanderbilt, The Rise and Fall of an American Dynasty by mm-hmm. Anderson Cooper and Catherine Howe. And they tell a great story about Alva Vanderbilt, who became a suffragist movement person. So yes, sweet revenge for both. Amazing. Are you watching The Gilded Age on HBO? I have not been. Should I? It's pretty great. I mean, it's it's like Downton Abbey. It's like really beautiful and a little silly. <laughs> but I think right now there's an appetite for Gilded Age stories. So this yeah. one comes in perfectly. And Christine Baranski is in it. So, you know, can't lose. And that uh, personal librarian, that novel about uh, Bella Costa, who worked for J.P. Morgan. Oh, yeah. Another great read-alike for this. So Gilded Age, yes. It's hot right now. And, you know, the parallels are amazing and alarming. So, uh, oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I I try not to think about that too much. I always think about that, you know. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's me. So before I leave biography, I just want to mention what I'm reading right now about another mighty and maligned woman, Yoko Ono. (gasps) My God. Yoko Ono, An Artful Life by music writer Donald Brackett out in April from Sutherland. You know, I'm I'm reading it now. It's 
uh, Yoko Ono is 89 years old. Oh, wow. So much happened before she met John Lennon and so much happened after his tragic death. So, you know, this book's going to cover the spectrum and it's just really interesting because he very patiently goes through all her, you know, her early influences, which are, you know, really, hey, really up there and out there stuff. So I'm, I'm excited about that. Nice. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So I want to talk about poetry because it's March. But April is National Poetry Month, so of course, yes. Let's let's look ahead, and uh, we just had so many great collections. I'll run through some, uh, some of which our wonderful freelance reviewers reviewed. Diego Baez reviewed "Before Island Is Volcano" by Raquel Salas Rivera. This is from Beacon. This is a really interesting Spanish and English bilingual collection that confronts the storied histories of Puerto Rico through the lives both of people that live on the island and um, the uh, diaspora in the in the states and it's just got so many you know that whole duality of cultures and staying and leaving and heritage that's not acknowledged so all that plays back and forth in these poems it just seems really powerful and unusual and also Diego says that it's punchy funny smart and stylistically unmatched yeah it's I was very attracted to this and he also works in you know lots of other illusions there's some the tempest Shakespeare's the tempest in here and a lot of island and Caribbean imagery so a powerful and, and unique book. Can you say what the title of that one was again? Yes. I can only pronounce the English because I am just not bilingual and I'm ashamed of that. But the English is Before Island is Volcano. Okay. And that's Raquel Salas Rivera from Beacon. So thanks to Diego for that. Another poetry collection I'm excited about is by Chris Abani, who we haven't seen a book from him in a while. He's a tremendous fiction writer and poet and essayist. This poetry collection coming out in May from Copper Canyon is Smoking the Bible. Ooh. Like, wow. Yes. Right. <laughs> huh. So uh, this was reviewed by our poet and reviewer, uh, Raul Nino. And he says this is a radiant collection of grit and beauty. And it's pretty intense, too. Uh, Chris Obani had to flee Nigeria uh, for political reasons. Uh, he's been living in the U.S., and this looks back on some of those experiences. And also, there's poems in here about his family, um, particularly his brother, and a lot of the longing that exile just brews in you the rest of your life. So it's been some look at colonial matters and uh, lots of strong themes and a lot of nature writing, too. So hmm. very powerful work. Yeah. So those are good for folks getting ready for National Poetry Month. Yeah. Do you think I have time for a few more? Yes. Okay, I'll be Bonnie, quick. you've got all the time in the world. I do. That never happens. Well, <laughs> I might you. change my mind, but we'll yeah, see. You may regret that. I, I'm always one of those people who give me an inch and all that, but um, <laughs> but I'll, I'll keep these. I'll keep these brief. I, I wanted to mention a few that I personally read in their entirety. A first collection from Annie Lou, Border Vista by Annie Lou from Persia Press, and this is another sort of cross-cultural story. Um, Annie Lu was uh, born in China, immigrated to the U.S., and she talks about the, and this is in quotes, the double-edged feeling that defines her, her life in America and her connection mm. uh, to China. Uh, formerly a very interesting and sophisticated book, lots of surprises here, lots of shadows and light, 
meditations on borders and perspectives, different countries, memories in the present. It's very, very beautiful first collection. I'm very impressed with it. And then I want to mention two poetry collections that look back on the past two years. These are kind of pandemic poetry collections in a way. And the first I'll mention is by the multi-talented and prolific Sarah Rule, um, Mm -hmm. who just had a memoir out. She's also a playwright. She's just phenomenally candid about everything. Her memoir was Smile, the Story of a Face, which is kind of a medical memoir. Here... She, um, in this book of poems, she just talks about what happens when she just locked in the house with the family. And these are very homey, frank, and funny lyrics. Uh, Many of them are short, like haiku or tanka, but but very philosophical as Rule seeks deep lessons in the everyday, like folding laundry and cooking and just sitting outside in her yard. And she's also seeking lessons in these experiences. And she writes very frankly about being a person of privilege. I mean, she's white, she's had success, even though she's suffered some really harrowing medical problems. So she she talks about that and what it means to be white and privileged in the wake of George Floyd's murder. Uh, So this Mm -hmm. is a a very honest and, you know, pretty enlightening poetry collection in a lot of ways. And she writes very openly about love as our pole star, which is always, always worth thinking about. Yeah. And I'll follow with one more. And this is the title's perfect. It's Zoom Rooms. (laughs) Here we are in one um, (laughs) when our internet signals let us. Uh, Zoom Rooms by Mary Jo Salter from Kanaf. This is also April. Salter's really exceptionally sophisticated poet when it comes to form. She also is an ekphrastic poet. She writes a lot about art, which I love. And there's some great examples of that in this collection. Um, But she's also musing on the whole pandemic disconnect and our cyber selves and what what this has all done to us. (laughs) It's just a really enjoyable, beautiful, piquant kind of collection I strongly recommend. Okay, that's poetry. Wonderful. What, what about fiction? Yeah, hit me <laughs> with the titles. With the titles, I'm going to. Thank you, Susan. How about We Measure the Earth with Our Bodies? Ooh. Um, this is by Shering Yangza Lama from Bloomsbury in May. This was reviewed by our um, reviewer, Purnima App. This was a novel, actually, I was going to review, but, you know, I handed it over at at a request. (laughs) Magnanimous. So this comes out um, in May from Bloomsbury. Um, The reason I was attracted to this is I'm, for many years, have been reading about Tibet. And this follows a pair of orphan sisters who lost their family in the 1959 Chinese invasion of Tibet and ended up in um, in Nepal in a refugee camp. And this follows their lives of displacement. And they come, one of the central images is a statue. It's a godlike figure, an an earthen statue of some age and perhaps value. It embodies the spirit of old Tibet. They end up in Toronto um, in a neighborhood that's called Little Tibet, but beg to differ and say that it's merely a copy of a copy of home, another temporary stop Mm -hmm. and endless journey. Uh, So this, this seems like a very powerful... Um, and nuanced look at a, you know, yet another story of, of displacement and, and conquering, which uh, <laughs> at this current point is even more poignant than usual. Yeah. So I certainly recommend that. 
And then a novel that I read with great pleasure. And, you know, you just have to appreciate pleasure. This is by a writer I enjoyed from her first book, which was called The Possessed, which is a work of uh, literary criticism about Russian literature, but very much a entertaining and funny kind of um, coming of age, intellectual coming of age story. She's, this is Alif Batuman. And her new novel, her second novel is Either Or. This is coming out in May from Penguin. It follows her first novel, The Idiot. Oh, yeah. Um, which came out in 2017. You, they, you don't have to have read The Idiot before you read either or, but why not? <laughs> They're both really smart and funny. And this second one, either or, our hero, uh, Celine, who's beginning her sophomore year at Harvard, uh, Turkish-American <laughs> parents or divorced parents, each doctors. She's just so smart and inquisitive and kind of hilarious and really candid about everything from, you know, trying to live the aesthetic versus the ethical life to, you know, what it means to lose your virginity and, and what sex all about anyway. And the scenes in this novel about sex are so smart and funny. I just... They were just perfect. They're perfect. There's also a lot of other adventures among her friends. And as in The Idiot, uh, the novel, it, it goes month by month through the year. And it ends up with her going to Turkey to write for the Let's Go Travel series. Uh -huh. Oh, my God. I can't tell you how hilarious and smart this is. The way it ends leaves you with a distinct feeling that there could be a third in the story of Celine's adventures. And I'm oh. thinking... There's four years of college, so why not four? <gasps> Perfect. <laughs> one can hope. And I'd like to mention one more novel. Um, and I thank everyone for listening to my little raves here. No, um, I, this is an audience that is not going to complain about somebody talking <laughs> about books for a long time. For a long time. Oh, I could go on. You know I could. <laughs> <laughs> oh, in fact, actually, I do. I'm going to. I'm going to talk about this one and then just mention one more because okay. you've encouraged me. This is a, a weighted new novel by a much adored author, Akwike M. Easy. You made a fool of death with your beauty. What a great title. Right? So M. Easy presents a refreshingly complex take on love stories in a tale. And I'm reading from the review from our wonderful reviewer, Enabang Camilio. And Enabang says that this is a tale filled with lingering, heartfelt sentences and passionate embraces. So this is a bit of a departure. And it involves this woman who ends, she's, she's been heartbroken. She's, she's back in the dating world, vowing to keep things simple. And we know what that leads to. In this case, incredibly complex story. And it's sort of a dazzling celebration, Enabong tells us, of the messiness of living and feeling. So this is going to be a very popular book. It's also, the screen rights have been sold to Amazon Studios, and rumor has it that Michael B. Jordan is on board for development. So this oh. is going to be a big deal. I yeah. Think. Yeah. And so You Made a Fool of Death with Your Beauty is out in May from Atria. Patriot books. And I'm going to talk about one more novel and to end, wrap things up. This is by um, a longtime favorite of mine and so many of yours. Julia Glass has a new novel, Vigil Harbor. This is 
such a powerful book about, well, about place. This is on the coast of Massachusetts, on the Atlantic Ocean, a place of refuge, a sort of a village of, you know, well-off people and people with deep generational roots in this part of the country, a place that's as prone to the ravages of climate change as every coastal place is, Mm -hmm. and um, some and a very um, homogenous, mostly um, entirely white sort of community, but within that, very different temperaments and personalities, different households. And a couple of, you know, some people appear to stir things up in some really provocative, intelligent ways. It's a very strong novel about uh, what we're facing uh, on the planet and, you know, what we have faced as, as people. And the writing is just exquisite. So Vigil Harbor, this is out from, I think it's uh, Pantheon Books out in May. So the spring is bringing us some mighty fine books, I must say. Yeah. And I rest my case. Thank you for that <laughs> smorgasbord. I love the variety and the volume, all of it. Thank you, Susan. I, this is such a great opportunity. I, Yeah, it's fantastic. Well, thanks for talking with us. Thank you. I look forward to doing it again sometime. Yeah. Well, friends, that's it for the 20th episode of Booklist Shelf Care, the podcast. Thanks to Hallie Eisenman and Donna Seaman for chatting about books and so much more. Once again, all of the titles we discussed will be in the show notes on booklistonline.com slash shelf hyphen care. You can find Shelf Care anywhere you find podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, you name it, we're on it. If you look forward to each new Shelf Care episode, won't you consider giving us a rate and review? This will help others find the podcast and bring even more bookish goodness to library workers' ears. Thanks for listening, everyone, and happy reading! Happy reading!